Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. It's brand new, season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio. And how the tech are you? It is time for the tech news for Tuesday, August 1st, 2023. So let's start out with the news that kind of happened and then unhappened since the last time I did one of these episodes. And that means starting with X, you know, the service formerly known as Twitter. I had mentioned that the San Francisco police had paid a little visit to XHQ when a construction crew blocked off a couple of lanes of traffic on a city street in San Francisco while removing letters from the Twitter sign that hung on the headquarters building. Ultimately, the cops did not charge anyone with a crime, but it did mean that the removal process was interrupted and for a while the ER stayed up there. They had removed the twit, but the ER was still up. And since a lot of us typically now will look at the former Twitter and say, er, I think it was appropriate that the ER was still there. But anyway, after all that, Musk's financial sinkhole of a company erected a big old X sign, an illuminated X sign on the top of their HQ. So it lit up a lot 
and it was bright enough and lighting up and like strobe effects and stuff that it prompted several people in the neighborhood to lodge complaints saying that it was garish and disruptive and making it real difficult to get any sleep if the X was flashing lights through bedroom windows and stuff. This prompted the city to send a building inspector around to make sure that the new sign was up to code, but the inspector says that they were denied roof access multiple times. So the city took issue with this, as well as with Musk erecting an quote-unquote illuminated structure without first securing a permit to do it. There were also concerns that the sign itself was not properly secured to the roof, which could be a truly dangerous situation in the event of something like high winds, for example. Now, the company is likely to face some fines from the city. Uh, I haven't seen how much those fines might be, but then if San Francisco wants to get money out of X, it's going to probably have to get in line behind the various landlords, vendors, and former employees who are also awaiting payment. So I suppose one of the big secrets to being rich is that, you know, you just don't pay your bills. Then you get to keep your money. It's genius. According to Casey Newton's excellent tech newsletter, today marks a big day inside X. So back when Musk bought Twitter, he famously did so at $54.20 per share. That's why it ended up being more than $40 billion overall. And a lot of Twitter employees had guaranteed stock grants, meaning that they had vested shares with the company or shares that were in the process of vesting and that they would then receive a payout for those shares. That's part of their compensation. They would get $54.20 per share vested with the company. According to Newton, today marks the day when the remaining employees who were still receiving stock grants will then be paid out. And if that happens, it might mean we could see another wave of resignations out of the company, because it's possible that some folks at X stayed on really just so that they could reach this moment to get that final payout. And then potentially they could go skip off to find greener or at least less chaotic pastures, though there is still a concern that a lot of people would not be able to find a job that pays, you know, at the same level as what they're getting over at X. And as we've already said, Musk has racked up a pretty big history of refusing to pay bills, including to former employees. So there is a fear that those who should be receiving this compensation may be left waiting around indefinitely. And that, you know, worst case scenario, the payout might not ever come. So maybe by the end of today, we'll have more news about that. But that's how it stands as I record the episode. In other awful news, the Center for Countering Digital Hate, or CCDH, is now in Elon Musk's crosshairs for daring to, you know, chronicle the rise of hate speech on X. Now, Musk has claimed that hate speech impressions are actually on the decline on X, but the CCDH argue that the opposite is true, that there's been an increase across the board in hate speech as well as in disinformation. and. If you've been following the news, you know that Musk has reinstated the Twitter accounts for people who previously had received bans for spreading things like hate speech on the platform. So 
at least, you know, from that perspective, you could say, well, it seems to be logical that you would find an increase in hate speech. They are re-platforming people who were banned for spreading hate speech. So anyway, the CCDH says that they found a 202% increase in messages on the platform that contain slurs. They also said that Twitter blue subscribers, which maybe they're called X blue subscribers. Now the X makes everything really confusing because you think that it means former as opposed to subscribed to X. Anyway, People who have subscribed to the platform and who have subsequently posted messages that violate the platform's policies seem to suffer no consequences. Their messages don't appear to be you know, removed or anything like that. The company's own Trust and Safety Council resigned ages ago, right? The people who were actually in charge of formulating those policies and to make sure that the platform was doing well to adhere to them, they left. And the department as a whole is reportedly in in a bit of the shambles. And now Musk is sending legal threats and is arguing that the CCDH has an agenda, that the CCDH's intent is to hurt X by spreading falsehoods in an attempt to scare off advertisers. The CCDH refutes those claims and points out that the organization is neither government funded, so it doesn't receive money from the government, nor is it connected to any other competing social network. So it's not like it's, you know, conspiring with Meta to take down X. In fact, the CCDH has also reported on issues like hate speech and disinformation on other platforms besides X. The CCDH released a statement indicating that should X and Musk actually pursue a legal case against the organization, because so far it's just been threats about doing that, the organization will fight back. So I'm sure we will have more on this as it continues. And uh, on a less dramatic and less important side of the whole X Twitter story, one of the few remaining holdovers from the Twitter days has actually changed. So it used to be that if you wanted to post something on Twitter, you would hit a little, you know, button that says tweet on there after you've written your message, right? You would tweet and that would post it. And now that icon no longer says tweet. It now says post. Uh, It's changed back and forth a couple of times over the last two days. But as I record this, at least in my own instance on the web-based version of Twitter, I checked and it says post now, not tweet. Uh, I guess we should be thankful it's not exit or, you know, because it's X is the name of the company. And, and Musk said that tweets would now be called X eats or Zeets or skeets. If you're pronouncing X, like if it were, you know, a, an anglicized Chinese word, then it would mean we'd be using the sh sound. So it'd be sheets then. But I'm guessing Musk doesn't like that because if you're using the X sound as sh, then Twitter would become, well, I won't say it. Over in the Netherlands, a court has ruled that Meta Ireland must reveal the identity of an anonymous user as part of a defamation lawsuit. This one gets really ugly, y'all. So the plaintiff in this case is a man who says he has been defamed by this anonymous user who has posted in a couple of different Facebook groups that are dedicated to people talking about their dating experiences and kind of like 
like horror stories with dating experiences in general. And that this anonymous user has said that this man has done stuff like secretly recorded the women he was dating, which would definitely be a red flag if that's true. But the man denies these charges and he wants to sue this anonymous user for defamation. He says his reputation has been harmed as a result of these posts. But here's the rub. You can't sue someone if you don't know who they are. So the man has brought this lawsuit to the court of The Hague in the Netherlands, and the court considered the case and has now sent an order to Meta Ireland to cough up the identity of the anonymous poster who was behind these messages in these Facebook groups. And Meta Ireland is going to comply because it's a legal court order. And you might think, huh, that sounds like a precedent that could potentially set the stage for a lot of abuse and discourage people from coming forward as whistleblowers and such. In this case, the argument is that the posts could be illegal if, in fact, they are defamatory and untrue. But the court also went beyond this. The court said, quote, According to settled case law and under certain circumstances, Meta has an obligation to provide identifying data even if the content of the relevant messages is not unmistakably unlawful, end quote. So in other words, the government in the EU in the form of the court system has the right to force platforms to strip away anonymity, even if the posts at the center of the matter do not contain any overtly illegal content within them, which is a big old yikes, right? Like that is stripping away security and privacy. Now, on the flip side, you could say, yeah, but if this is a real case of defamation, if these claims are untrue and this person has had their reputation suffer as a result of this and it's and through no fault of his own because he didn't do the things that were claimed against him, there needs to be recourse. So you can see that this is a complicated issue. On the flip side, if the claims are absolutely true, then ripping the anonymity away from the person who came forward is a a real potential threat to their safety. So it's a very complex situation, and I can't pretend like I have the answer. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we've got some more news stories to talk about. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here... We have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, 
and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Okay, we're back. And now let's get into the AI part of this news episode. So Meta is reportedly preparing to launch its AI-powered chatbots pretty soon, perhaps as early as September, according to the Financial Times. The chatbots will have different personalities, some based off famous like historical figures, others based off more stereotypes, kind of like surfer dude. According to the Financial Times, the push is in part meant to stem the rise and then fall of participation on threads. So when threads first launched, it took off like a rocket, right? It hit a hundred million users in less than a week. But since then, more than half of those users haven't really been back on threads. They dropped off super quickly. And it suggested that threads was really more of a flash in the pan moment and not the Twitter substitute that a lot of people were kind of hoping for. Apparently, Meta is going to lean on these chatbots to help drive engagement. I guess I can see the logic behind that, because if you're on a social platform and you're posting stuff, but no one ever engages with anything you post, then really you just end up keeping a journal. And that might be enough for some folks. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think a lot of people feel that they want others to treat the stuff they say as if it matters, right? The reason you're on social is to stay in touch with other people and to get some validation that the stuff you're posting is interesting or funny or relevant, you know, that people care about what you have to say. And if you're not getting that, you're not likely to be very satisfied with your experience on the social platform. Maybe an artificial reaction provided by a chatbot that's imitating Abraham Lincoln is the answer, though I should point out that the official explanation for these chatbots is that they're going to serve as a way to answer things like search queries and to give recommendations for stuff and not necessarily to stand in as some sort of surrogate follower or friend. Uh, So we'll see. 
I don't know if this will actually be a useful tool or you can count on Abraham Lincoln to be your plastic pal who's fun to be with. Shout out if you got that reference. Anyway, Meta isn't the only company putting AI to a new use. According to The Verge, YouTube is testing AI for the purposes of summarizing video content. So, in other words, telling you what a video actually is about before you click in on the video. So the test only covers a, quote, limited number of English language videos and will only be viewable by a limited number of users, end quote. That's according to John Porter of The Verge. Porter also writes that while the intent is to create a quick summary that ideally helps users decide which videos to watch, those summaries are not going to replace the human written video descriptions. Personally, I'm having a bit of trouble imagining what this actually looks like in practice when you're on YouTube. I mean, do the videos have two separate descriptions, one that was written by AI? But anyway, it shows how companies are looking at this crazy tool call, called artificial intelligence, and now they're scrambling to find quote unquote problems that this tool can quote unquote fix. Obviously, Anything that leads to greater engagement on one of Alphabet's many platforms is going to be counted as a win. So I can understand the whole throw noodles at the wall and see what sticks approach that they're taking here. I'm curious to see one of these summaries myself. I want to see what it looks like. But as far as I can tell, I haven't come across anything like that yet. But it is in a limited test run, so it is far more likely that I am just not in the pool of folks who are included in that test. I hold out hope that we'll get at least a few hilariously weird video summaries out of this that were clearly written by a robot. So I'll just have to wait and see. News Corp, the giant media company, has been using artificial intelligence to generate news articles that are publishing across 75 hyper-local publications across Australia. So according to The Guardian, the AI, which is kind of like chat GPT, is writing around 3000 pieces a week. And the topics range from stuff like weather reports to giving updates on fuel prices in specific cities and that kind of thing. The company says that the articles are written by AI, but they're overseen by journalists, which kind of reminds me of what HowStuffWorks.com said about its recent embrace of artificial intelligence generated articles. As a reminder, the editorial staff was let go at HowStuffWorks.com, and that means that folks that I used to work with found themselves out of a job. So I am definitely biased on this topic. I'm saying that so that you understand that I have a very particular point of view on this that is pretty darn negative, but that I you know completely admit this is my own bias. Anyway, I think you can make an argument that the types of pieces the AI is said to be tackling are ones that human writers actually wouldn't find interesting or rewarding to write in the first place. They are tedious exercises at best. And goodness knows, I would occasionally get assignments at How Stuff Works that definitely fell into the tedious category. You still had to do your best on those articles, but you questioned the value of writing them in the first place. And you're like, this is a garbage article, even if I do my best work on it. It's just the article itself is not very interesting. Uh, there is still a need for a human person to oversee the work that the AI is doing, because as we know, AI can sometimes get real loosey goosey with, you know, reality. And it makes me wonder how much the companies and staff are actually saving on time and effort. 
Because if there's a frequent enough need to do revisions and rewrites, really all you're doing is just making more work for fewer people. But it's hard to say, I bet there's a human writer out there who really wants to essentially rewrite the same article every day for the rest of their careers. Because if it's something like, what are the current fuel prices in your city? Well, that's something you would have to research and write every single day. That's probably not a lot of fun to do. So maybe that is a good use for AI, right? If the AI is reasonably accurate and uh, reliable, then it could mean that human writer ideally could get a different assignment that's more interesting and rewarding to work on. So I can see the the use for AI for specific versions of writing for stuff that people genuinely need to know, but is genuinely tedious to research and write. The problem is I worry about companies overstepping that and just saying, oh, wow, AI is way cheaper than having humans write it. Let's just have them write everything. And then we get an even bigger decline in journalistic integrity and quality. California here in the United States has a new department of privacy regulators who are uh, actually authorized with power now. And this week they are hearing their first case. They are looking at how auto manufacturers are incorporating data gathering technology within the vehicles that they make and sell and how those companies then collect, use and protect that information because there are really no rules in place to serve as a, a parameters for that. So the agency is looking at the types of information that are collected, which can include everything from geolocation data to camera images, depending on the vehicle. There's a concern that data collection has become an important component in cars, but there's such a lack of regulations and rules about how companies can use that information that it could lead to real problems. Now, ideally, Manufacturers use this info to keep eyes on things like vehicle performance and maybe even detect issues before they become huge problems. And that could lead to a much more effective method of dealing with stuff like recalls, for example. Maybe a company sees, oh, this isn't a critical problem yet, but it's going to be if we don't do anything about it. So let's do the recall earlier and save ourselves a lot of grief in the long run. That's a, a legitimate use for that kind of data collection. But if you go a step outside of the actual vehicle and you think about what does the data say about the driver who's inside that vehicle, that's where concerns start to pop up. I mean, that that vehicle data could be used to do a lot of things like you might be able to draw conclusions about the actual driver's life. So. Imagine that you are having to seek regular medical treatments for some condition you have. And that the car is essentially gathering information about the fact that you're going to a medical facility on a regular basis. That's information you probably wouldn't just freely share with a, a, a car company for no reason, right? I mean, that's private healthcare information. And so this is really this, this regulation agency's first step to get a full understanding of the scope and depth of data collection in the auto industry. And I hope. It's an indication of a sea change shift in how the United States in particular approaches data collection and use, because for too long, it's just been open season for information out there. OK, I've got a few more stories to cover before we get to those. Let's take another quick break. Working remotely. 
Where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safty, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. All right, we're back. And hey, let's head back down to Australia. Uh, I got some bad news. So Disney announced that after Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 hits store shelves in DVD and Blu-ray formats this month, the company is done producing physical media for the Australian market. So moving forward, 
fans in Australia will have to use stuff like streaming services or cable or satellite or whatever in order to watch future Disney properties. So there will be no more Marvel, Star Wars, or Disney DVDs or Blu-rays. So why is that? Well, Disney says it's because the home media market in Australia has slowed to a point where it's just no longer profitable to produce physical copies of stuff. And I get that a lot of people have moved away from physical media, but personally, as someone who has recently gotten back into that, I am bummed by this news. For one thing, we are now all aware that just because something is currently available on a streaming service today, it doesn't mean it's going to still be there tomorrow. We have seen dozens, hundreds of titles disappear off of streaming services, including Disney Plus, and then become unavailable. Uh, a lot of streaming exclusive content never even makes it to physical home media at all. So once it go goes, it just becomes inaccessible. It still exists, but there's no way for you to watch it. Well, with Disney making this move, it means for Australians, everything Disney makes is potentially in that category of stuff that one day could just disappear. And there's an understandable concern that other studios are going to follow Disney's lead. In fact, I'd be shocked if that doesn't happen. But from a business perspective, it's hard to fault the decision. You don't get into the business to not make money. From a fan perspective or from an archivist perspective, this is a huge blow. And I wouldn't be surprised to see similar stories play out in other regions as more people migrate away from physical media. Personally, I'm going to be buying Blu-ray and DVD copies of the stuff I love while I still can, because I've had plenty of experiences where something I really enjoyed was on a platform and then a, an agreement expires and it's gone and there becomes no legal way for me to access it anymore. And I'm not the type of person to lean on illegal means to get access to content if there are legal alternatives. But when there are no legal alternatives, it really I mean, you either do without or you break the law. Those are really your only options. Uh, I guess the responsible thing is, I guess, to do without. But it just gets so frustrating when you think, I want to see this. I am happy to pay for the, pro the, the ability to see it. There just isn't that option. Video Game Chronicle reports that Nintendo is preparing to launch its next console sometime next year, likely in the fall, in time for the holiday season. Nintendo launched the Switch back in 2017, and while titles like Tears of the Kingdom show that this portable system, or at least system capable of going into portable mode, can still pack a surprising amount of punch, it is safe to say that the hardware is now kind of pushing against its upper limits. The VGC says that Nintendo has already started to ship development kits to various partner studios in anticipation of this launch next year. Details are understandably scarce, but it sounds like the next console will again be capable of being used in a portable method, you know, like a handheld system similar to what Switch can do, uh, and that the company is choosing to use LCD screens instead of OLED screens, likely in an effort to keep manufacturing costs down. Hopefully that will also mean it will help keep consumer prices down, that they won't be too expensive uh, either. VGC also says that the system will include a cartridge slot for physical media. So we're not going all digital with this one. Not a big surprise. Nintendo has a long history of supporting physical media and to kind of kind of uh, drag its feet on things like connected features for its for its consoles. But that's all that's known right now. 
And here's hoping that this console is another big success story like the Switch and not another misfire like the Wii U. Speaking of video games, Call of Duty recently held a culling. The uh, the game targeted players who were found to have been relying on cheats and hacks in an effort to get advantages over other players. According to the game's X feed, or Twitter feed, again, I, this is so confusing. X feed, just whatever. Anyway, according to the video game, the publisher has banned more than 14,000 accounts for cheating and hacking within just 24 hours. Now, personally, I don't play Call of Duty, but there are a couple of British content creators I watch regularly who do play it. I hope this means that they will encounter fewer instances of people using cheats and hacks. It is frustrating enough just as a viewer to watch someone who is really good at the game they play, but then they encounter cheaters and it becomes this unfair uh, exchange. Like when they're up against genuinely skilled players, that's exciting. When they're against cheaters, it's just frustrating. But I imagine it's way worse to actually experience it firsthand. Uh, I have encountered cheaters in a few games I've played. I remember a game of PUBG where uh, the the person who took me out, it turned out they were using a cheat where they were just getting headshots. Like they weren't even pointing at people and getting headshots. And it was such an obvious cheating mechanism. It was really frustrating. It convinced me to stop playing PUBG. So that's fun. Uh, So really, game developers have an incentive to crack down on this kind of thing, because otherwise they do run the risk of players becoming frustrated with the title as a whole and just abandoning it. And finally, a weather satellite called Eolus came crashing down to Earth this week. But this was planned. The European Space Agency launched Eolus about five years ago. Uh, It carried a laser Doppler tool called Aladen or Aladdin, if you prefer. It just has one D, so I called it Aladdin. And the scientists were using this to help monitor and study wind speed and direction at various elevations through the atmosphere. So this was part of a broader study on weather and climate, and just gathering a lot of scientific information. But earlier this year, the ESA made plans to deorbit the satellite. It was reaching the end of its mission. It's also reaching the end of its fuel. Uh, And as it turned out, the satellite did not have enough fuel in it so that the ESA could do a fully controlled deorbit. Instead, the ESA used the remaining fuel to carry out what they called an assist, which is kind of between a controlled deorbit where you are using thrust to target a specific location for touchdown or crashdown, I guess it was a better word for it, and an uncontrolled deorbit where Nature just takes its course and you have no idea where that satellite's going to end up going. The ESA couldn't guide the satellite the entire time, but it could ensure that the spacecraft was able to use its fuel and thrusters to maneuver itself above the Atlantic Ocean in an effort to minimize any terrestrial issues, you know, like having the satellite fall on someone's house or something. Deorbiting the satellite also means that Eolus would not become another piece of space junk serving as a potential hazard in low Earth orbit. So rest in pieces, Eolus. You did good work out there. That's it for today's news. Hope you are all well, and I will talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 
It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers.